0: Welcome back to the next episode of Content That Grows podcast. I'm excited to be joined today by Jonathan Bland. Jonathan is the co-founder of OmniLab, a demand gen agency that helps B2B SaaS brands drive pipeline through paid ads. He's worked with uh, directly with four VC backed B2B SaaS brands, helped take one of them to unicorn status, and worked with over 100 plus SaaS brands to help drive pipeline with paid ads. Uh, Jonathan, excited to have you with us today.
1: Yeah, love love to be here, man.
0: Yeah, and I know um, I was uh, fortunate to be on your podcast uh, maybe about a year ago or so. So excited to, to have you here. You know, I talked a lot about content on yours, and so then today we're going to be talking about um, a little bit of the intersection of paid and organic. Uh, you know, so using paid and non-paid efforts together, uh, mm-hmm. which is something that I think a lot of people uh, have to find that balance. And then you know, within that, sort of also talking about. Um, paid promotion of content. So yeah. there's some interesting ways to, to weave it together today. hundred percent. Yeah. So to start, um, I think I'd love to just kind of understand like you and, and OmniLab and, and Jason, everyone there, like, how do you think about the relationship between paid and non-paid marketing efforts?
1: Yeah, I think this is this is an interesting one, because I think commonly everyone wants to make it a versus type of situation where it's this or that. And I think it's not a this or that. It's more potentially a timing issue of which one you do first or which one you spend more money on initially. And so I think like commonly, one of the things that I know we get into conversations all the time on is when is it right to spend money on paid? And I think this is interesting because it relates back to the whole question, which is You know, if you're in a a point of your company when you're still pre-product market fit or even potentially pre-product, uh, you've got very little social proof case studies. You haven't been really in business for more than a year. These are all triggers for me that would say, I don't know if it's a good point for us to start spending heavy on paid because paid can be pretty expensive. And so you can waste a lot of money really quick if you haven't plugged some of the holes down funnel or have proven out some things first. And so I think like that's a really, really important piece. But if you do have some of those elements and, yeah, they're never going to be perfect, right? You're always working on something. Then you can start to kind of slowly inch your way into the paid world. But I'll give you a great example of like how non-paid and paid are related. And I wish we had even more data on this. I've been trying to get with the team to do this across all of our clients, but Mm -hmm. we've definitely done it for a few. But for some that actually have been creating organic content on the channel that we're actually going to be advertising in. So like LinkedIn, for example. And so uh, we had a client that was very aggressive on LinkedIn before they even started spending on paid ads. So they had two to three people at their company posting all sorts of stuff, videos and text-based posts and kind of you name it, right? So there was almost a lot of brand awareness even before we came in, to do paid advertising. And a lot of the people that were engaging with their posts were in their ICP. They were a good fit. And so when you've got those types of things happening and we start spending paid ads, we start to see that engagement levels in comparison to companies we work with that don't do those things have lower engagement rates. And you could say there's all sorts of nuance, right? Messaging, different product, this, that, and the other thing, et cetera. But it's something that we've done at least across three or four clients now and have seen that lift where you now have a channel where the, the, the audience is kind of already primed. And maybe not everyone's engaging with their post, right? They're not connected with everyone. But uh, the point is, is that there's definitely a relationship with that. So we're always trying. We're always big proponents, certainly of the organic social side, but also SEO. Uh, but big proponents of making sure that at least you get a couple people in your company that are actually starting to post actively on that channel so that people can start relating a human face with the brand. And I think that helps yeah. out a lot versus just the brand itself. So I'll stop myself there, but uh, see if you have any thoughts.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a great example. Um, I, I do want to go back to what you said initially, which was kind of talking about the timing. Mm, um, yeah. Because I think that we, we often have some similar conversations with, with companies and, um, you know, similarly, like you don't really want to get into a, a lot of like a big content program when you don't have product market fit and right. um, some of those same things. But one of the things that's interesting is that I feel like I've had a number of, you know, initial sales conversations with companies where my recommendation is actually, I, I think you should start with paid um, because, you know, they're they're in a place where they do have product market fit and, um, and they're in a space where there's sort of there's proven demand, you know? And so like, I think that there's some, some opportunities to get some, some quicker wins and really leverage paid to tap into the existing demand. Um, you know, and then, you know, maybe it's, you know, only a six month difference, but then, you know, six months, 12 months down the line, then you really start uh, scaling up content. And so there are cases where we actually are saying like, you know, let's, you know, if you have, you know, only, you know, $10,000 a month, um, you know, my, my recommendation sometimes would be start with paid. And so yeah. I think there's that. And then there's also, um, yeah, another thing that we talk about a, a good amount is, um, it, you know, paid and non-paid can also just kind of help create some of the breadth in, in, uh, topics and where you're kind of reaching folks. And so mm-hmm. typically with paid, you're going to want to be focusing on that higher intent, um, the bottom of funnel, if it's, you know, on the search side, it's definitely, right. you know, high intent keywords and some of those groups. Whereas, um, the content can be, can, can be in the area, but also can help support, um, uh, you know, more middle of funnel, you know, a little right. bit, uh, earlier in the buying process and, and whatnot. And so I think they complement each other quite well there. Um,
1: I think that's I think a really good point. What you're saying. Yeah, I might add on to what you said because I think, you know, if there is a if the if the company or the brand is in an existing category where there's existing demand and people are already searching for what it is they do, then it definitely makes the barrier to entry a lot lower because you you don't have mean, for example, for us, typically we're not doing a lot of content distribution through search from a paid perspective. Right. It's very rare. In some cases where it's more of an enterprise motion and they've got enough of a budget where they really want to go after more of the brand awareness, lower intent play. Fair enough. We might do that for, you know, kind of longer tail keywords where people are trying to explore and understand different products versus actually buy products. And so you might have that separation. But yeah, to your point, Google ads makes it a little easier in the world of paid social. It's, there's a lot, there's a lot more elements that need to kind of come together for that truly to be successful. And so, you know, I think that's where I would always hesitate a little bit is, you know, if you do have existing demand, then yeah, Google ads could be a great starting point to your, to your point. The other thing too, to consider is, you know, even from a, I mean, I'm sure most brands are getting some traffic from, you know, direct, organic and different sources, referral, et cetera, et cetera. But another way that you can kind of get into it with, um, you know, not a whole lot of money is just set up basic retargeting audiences. And I know you guys have done some of that. We've done some of it ourselves. And you just start to immediately say, all right, for the people that are actually familiar with our brand that are going to our website, we can probably stay in front of them for a couple thousand dollars depending on the size of the audience at a decent frequency, ideally 10 to 12. And then now you've got people that maybe were engaging through a cold email, maybe it was a podcast, maybe it was whatever, right? Organic post. And so now you're covering them up again with ads. So you're staying top of mind if the algorithm's not so nice to you on LinkedIn or whatever channel you're playing with. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, which I think, yeah, I I wanted to touch on this, and I don't think we really have it much in the notes, uh, for today's, um, what you said before, and then even what you just said now, I think is all kind of leading towards, um, the reality that, you know, the, the buying process is not linear and Mm -hmm. it is absolutely not a single channel. Um, you know, it's not just, Oh, we're going to invest in SEO because they're going to search, find us on Google and, and buy. And it's also not, we're just going to invest in LinkedIn ads or paid search because, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to, uh, do that and buy. And it's the reality is you have that and you have retargeting. And then within LinkedIn, I'm sure you guys run all kinds of, you know, promoting content, direct conversion, CTAs, promoting case studies and proof points and all that stuff that just sort of, uh, works together. Um, and then you even mentioned like the organic. LinkedIn stuff, you know, playing a big part in that and building trust and awareness, right. and So it's just, I think the, the biggest thing, like you said, they're not, it's not paid versus non-paid it's the reality that it all, you know, is very much working together to, to kind it, of support that.
1: It's so true. It's so true, and the thing that drives me absolutely nuts, and I'm sure you've seen some of these LinkedIn posts, but it's like, this one ad led to $1 million of revenue. And I always just sit there and I'm like, I mean, I know that gets a lot of attention, it does. People love this stuff for whatever reason, but it's just, you're selling a false reality. It's not how it works, especially in B2B. I mean, no one sees one ad off a 10K product and decides to buy. I mean, even on it, honestly, D2C to, to a degree. I mean, if I see Instagram, I see a pair of Nike shoes. I'm not necessarily just buying immediately. I go to review sites, I'm looking organic, I might talk to a buddy. I mean, depending on what it is. But uh, yeah. but yeah, the buying journey is definitely not linear and you can approve that out. It's very easy. It's not a hard conversation. A lot of times I like to ask CEOs or commonly CEOs without marketing backgrounds or people that don't have marketing backgrounds just say, hey, walk me through the last time that you bought B2B software. And ideally, they've got ha- have to have that experience. But if they do, they're going to say, "Hey, I went. Uh, someone told me about it in Slack, and then I saw this ad over here, and then I, you know, searched on Google, and then I think I ultimately saw this podcast, and I decided to go to the website uh, by just typing in the URL, and I, I converted right." And and they may not fill in all those gaps, and they're going to definitely forget some stuff. But the point is, is that they're not going to respond by saying, "Yeah, hey, it was just one thing." It's kind of what I came in on. You know, there's there's a handful of things that happened across that journey. And so we need to remember that with any type of strategy.
0: Yep, absolutely. So, so what, um, in your experience, obviously working with a lot of, um, clients and different types of companies across SAS and B2B, um, what, what would you say are like maybe the most common or some of the most common, uh, mistakes you see consistently regarding kind of how they try to use paid and non-paid together?
1: Yeah. I think the big thing for me is I'm always trying to figure out how do we de-risk content before we actually put money behind it? Because the worst thing to do is to put a piece of content out there that you're really not sure how it's going to perform. And so there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But, you know, one way is if you've got a couple of people that are active on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or another channel, you can write content and small and short form, right. And look at the engagement levels across various different types of topics. And this is especially useful because most people would go, I mean, in the SEO world, you know, you do this all the time, but you look at keyword volume and and search volume etc but a lot of times there's newer topics and and things that are trending that you may not necessarily see in the back end of keyword planner or you know whatever tool you use to look at search volume so i think it's a great way to say hey let's actually take this post like it went viral there are a lot of people engaged with it i'm looking at the likes and comments they're coming from our icp we should do a piece on this and so now you've just de-risked it now you've said okay great i'm going to take something that i already know people are engaged with which is going to make it a lot easier to get approval to create the piece And then whether it's a guide, a podcast episode, or whatever format of content you want to turn it into, and obviously starting easy, right? Because most people don't have time to do every type of content format. Then that's a great way to say, okay, immediately now I can share data. And I don't see that happening as much as it really should, where those teams on whether the organic side, whether it be organic social or even SEO, when I'm looking at GA, for example, and I'm trying to look at, hey, what are the blogs, guides, pieces of content on my website that are already getting a lot of engagement? How much time are they spending on the page? What's the bounce rate? How far do they get down the page? Things like that. Those are all different engagement points that we can look at to say, okay, wait a minute, before we put money behind this, just because let's just see what happens. Let's look at the data first. And if we can make some, obviously some educated decisions, then we'll have a lot more success versus what unfortunately has happened with us in some piece of content with clients is that they just fall completely flat. And we're running around in circles saying, you know, and the clients all over us saying, "Hey, is it the bid strategy? Is it the objective? Like, what can we do to change the audience type?" And so there's all this scrambling of like ad channel tactics. When really, at the end of the day, it was just the content, and the content just wasn't good enough. They just weren't interested. So, it's yeah. definitely one thing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, and um, I've certainly seen it in house and and with clients as well. Like, uh, marketers can just get super wrapped up in like. Mm-hmm their plans and how they believe it should work like yeah we have this we're going to promote it we're going to get it this conversion rate whatever and um it's just it's taking your eye off the ball which is like what actually matters to people what's what's valuable to them what's solving a problem for them right that's ultimately what's gonna it's gonna do well and so um yeah i think that's a great point um yeah i think there's also Within the the relationship and some of the mistakes, um, you know, one of the things we get asked a lot is like, um, sort of like some folks will come in with this expectation that like, hey, we're spending you know half a million dollars a month on paid search, um, and like expecting to just uh, how do I describe this? Um, take the keywords they're spending on and like shift that spend in like just rank for those keywords instead, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, and be able to like shift that spend away basically. Yeah. And so I, I think there's certainly scenarios where that can happen, but as I said before, I think a lot of it comes down to like the intent, um, you know, and there, so there, anything that's got a transactional intent, you're not going to want to try to replace that with blog content and you'll probably struggle uh, a lot to do that. Hmm. Um, however, you could be paying for certain keywords that are not as high intent and not, not as transactional. And the intent, you know, in the SERPs is really a right. bit more educational information, in which case you could do that. Um, but I think that there, sometimes I, you know, see folks kind of coming in with that expectation of like, oh, you know, we can work with you and we, you know we'll save, you know, $30,000 yeah. a month and spend because we can just do this. And, um, sometimes that's the case and potentially if your program's big enough, but like, it's not typically the way it works. A lot of times they're much more complementary um, rather than, uh, replacing one with the other.
1: Do you think it's just kind of a time element that there's just not realistic time expectations from how they get results pretty quickly with paid search versus moving some of that over into actually ranking for organic do you think there's a kind of a expectation problem that you see a lot of times between when that's going to happen and when you're going to start ranking for these and when you can stop spending on paid search for example
0: yeah i think um to some extent you know i think certainly that the difficulty of the terms and you know how established their site is there's a lot of variables there in terms of what it impacts time yeah. um but i also think that there's I, a lot of it just comes down to the intent you know if we could look at a list of of 2500 keywords and mm. there just may not be more than maybe a dozen that really would be like yeah well the intent behind these queries makes sense to shift it uh you know into organic um so that's probably the biggest factor really is just um being realistic about what the person's looking for when they're searching. if that makes sense to, to shift that over. Uh, and there's, there's obviously other ways, like there may be opportunities to, to, you know, bolster feature pages or solution pages or, you know, core product pages, Mm -hmm. um, that still kind of get to that point. But again, it's just sort of like query by query, understanding the, the intent behind that and and figuring that out. So, um, yeah. So shifting a, a little bit, um, let's talk about kind of like promoting content, um, with paid channels. So I think you were just kind of talking about a little bit, but like, what do you what do you typically see are the biggest challenges for teams that are trying to like build or promote content uh, with paid channels?
1: Uh, I mean, the biggest one, the common one we always talk about, right, is, you know, it's just, there's no POV behind it and there's no original insight as are the things that I see most often. I mean, it's just kind of me too content uh, that's being promoted. Uh, or for example, we've got another client that's promoting a Gartner report right now. And for whatever reason, their audience is not interested. And uh, honestly, my personal opinion is that I'm not sure why anyone really cares to read it. I think it's more of a check the box thing you do at the end of the day, but without, you know, getting on Gartner's back and yeah. saying a bunch of bad things. Uh, the, the point is, I think a lot of content, you know, just it, it needs to have some, and that kind kind of goes into kind of another point about like some of the content too, that I think really there needs to be more development of this type of content is it's very easy to write a piece like Legion versus Dimension. I mean, to a to degree, you know, ChatGPT could get you down the road and write a, a bit of that piece. And then you could have the 20%, you know, come in over top of the human and make sure it actually sounds right. It's correct. And, you know, there is a, a good POV that aligns with the tone and voice that you want at the company and things like that. But there's so much just content out there that's just like, yeah, OK, like I get it. Like there's this search volume around that. But what's your take? I mean, what's the company stance or what's the individual stance who's actually writing the piece yeah. on it? And then initially to that, and again, this kind of goes into the type of content that I think should be, you know, that's really going to honestly perform better than anything in the future, just given how much content's being built at scale right now uh, with all the generative AI tools that are coming out right now. But it's going to be proprietary data. It's going to be unique insights that your company has. So, for example, you know, we work with 20 plus SaaS companies and we've got insights from all of those companies, all aggregated in a dashboard so we can give our clients you know, very actionable details and benchmarks of where things should be, where things stand, et cetera. And granted, there's definitely differences between those. And that's still a small number we need really into the hundreds. And so that's the goal to keep building that database. But, you know, original insights like that, like Gong is a good example. Lavender, I'm sure uh, I don't look at their content as much, but Lavender, the email sales assistant tool, they've got all this data of people writing cold emails in their tool. And so if they can just extract that out of the tool and then create content pieces about the five best ways to increase reply rates by 23%, et cetera, things like that. That, to me, is yeah. the content that's going to stand out. So when you don't have some of those things, and it's just kind of like the regular good old-fashioned content that's just easier to do, you know, like Legion versus Imagine, because there's 100 articles on that, then yeah. uh, then you get on the road. So, so yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense and um, aligns with what we've seen certainly even just on like organic social side. So we do like number of clients, we create organic like LinkedIn posts, Twitter threads, stuff like that. Um, yeah. that kind of like pulls the main points out of the content. And, um, and there's definitely a you know, big difference in the success of that content in along those lines as well, in terms of like what's unique and, and, uh, proprietary to, to them and, and just making it stand out. And then certainly the, the POV aspect as well. I mean, that's definitely a big, big thing that we try to, Work with our clients and understanding you know how to inject that and very much avoid the the copycat type of content that that you see a lot so um yeah. that makes sense uh on the the challenges there um anything else around like um i, I would have to imagine there's some sort of disconnect at times um where maybe a company has a good amount of content, but it's not really, um, even if there's, you know, good POV and that kind of stuff, like you're, you're very intentional on the paid side about here's the funnel kind of here's where they're at. Like, you know, we're kind of, uh, with retargeting and, and, mm-hmm. uh, cold prospects and all that stuff, like trying to work people through. I mean, do you all like occasionally just run into companies that just don't have content that really kind of fits what you're trying to do, even if they have a lot of good content?
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of companies that don't have certain pieces that I think would do better. Um, you know, Sometimes they just want to promote a two-page guy that there's just really nothing there uh, to it. And so yeah. we try to ask them for other pieces that we've seen perform better in other scenarios. I mean, for example, like real live practical templates, I think are always good assets to create. Uh, whether you gate them or ungate them, um, up to you. But ultimately, like people are always looking for something that they can use, and whether you integrate that in with a larger piece or not, maybe that works well. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, there's always going to be the issue of content. They're not—they don't have enough content. They don't have internal in-house teams that are creating it on a regular basis. It's kind of this. Right. Afterthought of, well, maybe we should do that because I don't know, we haven't done it in a while. And so a lot of this doesn't really roll up for not too many of the companies we work with, but we have worked with some where they're just still a little bit, they're in that Series A, C dish range, kind of like still a little bit too early stage. And so they haven't built out a really full fledged content strategy to actually make sure that they have a schedule for creating some type of content because you can create all sorts of stuff as you know. And so you don't have to create it's not necessarily about volume per se or all the different ad for all the different types of content formats. It's about figuring out, okay, what's one content format we can do pretty well that our ICP likes to consume, which, you know, there's going to be some differences start with that one, do it well and be consistent about it. And then over time, then you can obviously add to those things, but yeah, it's always a struggle. And so, you know, it's always about just kind of taking what we can from an existing piece. For example, I've talked about this many times on uh, LinkedIn, but to give like a practical example of like how you can stretch content uh, in a situation where you don't have a lot is through webinars. And a lot of people do a webinar, and but most of the time what happens is you promote the webinar on paid or whatever channels, your email, et cetera. After you get some registrants through it, you send the recording out the email. You put it on your website. You gate it, and it just dies there, pretty much on the website. That's it. And it ha- I mean, so many people do this because most of the times distribution at the end of it's kind of an afterthought. You're saying, ah, eh, you know, I, I don't know. We'll just go into the next piece. We've got to get ready for the next webinar, and so all the attention goes to that. When if you just carved out a little bit of budget to distribute the webinar in clip format, which we've done with a number of clients, which can drive an immense amount more people to actually consume it because. You also have to consider most people that are cold to your brand are not necessarily going to sign up for an hour-long webinar to hear you talk about whatever, even if the topic's really yep. interested, uh, interesting. So breaking it up, kind of like you said you're doing for some of your clients, taking some of those clips from the webinar, repurposing them when paid. Also, by the way, unpaid. It doesn't have to be paid ads. You could also take right. that yep. personal profiles, company page, whatever, and get the highlights, put a headline, subtitle it down the road and so now you can really stretch that content so you're not in a situation where it's like oh crap you know i don't have any content to deal with it's like wait a minute you do it's right here maybe it's not new but if it's still relevant then we should probably still push that and we could drive a whole lot more people to actually view the webinar whether long form or short form so yeah so yep. yeah you know some ideas there
0: yeah I was, uh all very good and i do want to call out two things that i was glad to hear you say because they're uh things that we have said many times Mm -hmm. Um, even on the podcast. One is um, creating content in the format that your ICP wants to consume. I think that is always a a very important aspect. Um, And the other one was, um, you know, people always ask, like, how much should we create? Like, how soon should we create content? Uh, And my advice is always, um, as much as you can do well, you know, I think you said something along that line too. Like, it doesn't have to be, everything all at once like oh we got to go do case studies and blah 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 exactly like, you can just really focus on what your icp you know will consume or wants to consume and as much as you can do well do that so yeah um being yeah, consistent
1: that's, that's being great. consistent is way more important than just pumping out as much volume as you can because if the quality is not there then people are going to disengage and they're just going to be like ah you know it's just another crap piece that they're putting out so
0: exactly yep. absolutely cool yep all right so uh, last question on this section before we get to the, the final four. Um, are there any content types um, that you're bullish on right now in terms of promoting via paid channels?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing is the only thing we didn't talk about that I think is interesting. And there's a whole entire wave of this happening, uh, product tour tools, but it relates directly to this. And so, you know, companies like Toriel and Walnut and uh, Novotic and others like that are all out there doing this. And so it's been really interesting to see a lot of sales led companies actually say, hey, wait a minute, we need to make it easier to understand what our product actually does. And so uh, so what we see is we've been trying to get people to create what we call contextualized demos and or put a product tour on their website, but ideally both where it's more of a narrative-based type of demo. And so this is still not content in the sense of your traditional content that's more just value-based educational. This is definitely a product marketing type of asset. Um, And so the goal is really for us to say, okay, great, what are some of the top pain points that people have right now in the ICP? And what's the narrative of what they're experiencing today, how the product actually solves it, and then what that actually, you know, results in, what's the outcome, right? And so you can create these in like little two to three minute short snippets. But the reason it's so powerful uh, as a content piece or an ad, an asset, an ad, depending on what you want to call it, in advertising is that now what you're doing is you're actually getting consumption of what it actually does inside the channel. Because remember, I mean, in, in the paid world, you know, against a cold audience, I mean, 0. 0.5, 0.6% would be a good CTR. So that's a lot of people that are not clicking over to your website you might say like why should we shouldn't be spending on paid advertising but that's just the way the game works and so the way to optimize your spend better is to say wait a minute i don't just need the click i can actually optimize for some of that content to be consumed in channels so i'm really big a really bullish uh, for sure on contextualized demos we talked about proprietary insights a little bit for sure i think that's huge for example um, you know, Gong, again, I think has done this well, but other companies can follow the same type of playbook. It's really easy where they've got access to data in their system and they chop up little bits into carousels or static image ads where there's value in that content itself, where, for example, using ROI in your cold email decreases reply rates by 23%. And so that's the ad. And then that leads to a content piece talking about how to do that. And so I think everyone's always, again, looking for these like, practical takeaways and how to do things and something that worked for someone else so that they can obviously, you know, do better. So I think those are probably the two, two biggest ones, I guess that stand out that we, we haven't talked about. I'm sure there's others, but uh, but those are the things that I think that need to be done more of because there's just enough of just the garden report this and um, you know, the me too content. that's like, yeah, it's kind of been said, but we should say it too, just because there's volume around it and we should just kind of get in on that game just to play, play with it. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't know yeah. what you see, but uh, curious your thoughts too.
0: Absolutely, no. I I love the the um the like product demos and, and actually pulling some of that out and and doing that. You know, one of the things that that we've talked about a lot because we do work with a number of product led growth companies and um, even just the the reality of what I saw a lot uh, in the later stages of you know growth at Sprout Social was um, you know everyone had this idea for for a long time that free trial was the beginning of, of someone's journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think that there, that probably started out more that way, you know, in the, you know, 20, early 2010s, um, and, uh, there, there's probably still some of that, I think in lower price point products, but anything that's, you know, a decent consideration has to fit inside of your tech stack is mm-hmm. a bigger investment like that the free trial is definitely not the beginning that is potentially one of the last steps um that a company is taking and so being able to see some of that you know out in the wild and and pulling some of those out i think is is a really um interesting way to to leverage paid and and get some distribution there so
1: totally uh, agree totally agree yep
0: um cool so let's jump in um then to the final four Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same questions we ask all of our guests. Um uh, so first would be, you know, what's a recent success or learning that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, it was actually something I posted, I think two weeks ago on LinkedIn, but it was a series B, I believe B2B SaaS company we were working with. And so a lot of times, like when we start working with a company right from the beginning, the first thing we do, like many agencies, uh, is go in and actually understand what was working and what wasn't and so one of the things we uncovered is they had spent i think it was around ten thousand dollars on just one piece of content that's not across all the different content pieces they were spending money on so we just wanted to isolate this one content piece and then we started to look at the others afterwards but this analysis was just around this one piece that they pushed back in 2022 and so it was an enormous amount of money right but for one content piece uh, it was. And so we looked at it and I think there were around 1,700 leads. I'm just ballparking this because I can't remember the exact numbers off the head off the LinkedIn post, but I'm happy to share it afterwards. Uh, but 0.3% of those leads over a 12-month period actually converted into opportunities. And so for us, like that's obviously a shock, right? And you wouldn't expect, clearly, to have a immediate high conversion rate to opt from a content download because they're low intent. It's just an engagement point. It's not a sales ready lead. And so we took that into consideration by increasing the timeline and saying, okay, if we look over a much longer time frame, then is it still happening where we're getting some level of conversion to op? And it just wasn't happening. And so so I think the, the interesting takeaway from that is what we ultimately did after getting that data is we said, okay, well, in 2023, should we continue doing that? I mean, does that make sense? Is it a good use of money? And so we looked at the conversion rate from demo, to op, which again, some of these are, for me, obvious, because I I, run these calcs all the time. I've never seen it the other way around, but demo to op is always going to be a much higher conversion rate. I think it was up at 26 to 30%, somewhere within that range against 0.3%, It's 0.3%. And so, you know, immediately we said, okay, well, then how can we do a better job of driving more demo requests? And our strategy at a very high level, because I know we're running out of time, was to take product marketing and put that more inside the channel because previously they were spending around 100% of their budget on just Legion promoting really this piece of content and a handful of others and then putting them into some type of newsletter or email nurture. And so the goal was to say, okay, why don't we get a little bit of that budget where we can actually tell people what this thing is because even they told us we have a brand awareness problem. People know what we do. And I'm like, well, there's a reason for that. It's because you're spending all your budget just on this content. And the content itself, they were doing a good job and not being too promotional. But there wasn't a strong enough dotted line back where that content piece could really act as a product marketing asset. So short story to kind of put a cap in the story is, you know, we uh, after switching the budget, I think it was around I don't think it started this way, but it's around 60, 60% legion and then 40% product marketing. So he took 40% of that budget, put it into product marketing, and that was through value props, pain points, contextualized demos, things like that. We saw huge increases, not only in demo requests, but also in opportunities. And I believe the numbers were from two marketing sourced opportunities to around 28 uh, marketing sourced opportunities over a six-month period. And yeah. so that's all over, you know, last kind of bit of 2022 and then 2023 since we've made the switch. So that's something that, you know, definitely proud of. And, you know, it's one of those things you just got to look at the data and decide how you best want to spend your money. So
0: yeah, I, I like the, the process and how you got to that conclusion, versus mm. saying, just, you know, right, just having some stop doing bias. It. And yeah, outright. right. Um, and also, like that, you know, when you're talking about a difference between 26%, I think you said versus 0.3 3%. Uh, you know, one of the, the challenges sometimes is like, looking at past data and making assumptions on future performance when you're talking about increasing scale and promoting something more aggressively, you can potentially have more, you know, the signal to noise ratio changes and you have, Mm -hmm. you know, more unqualified things come through. But in that case, I mean, you have a lot of room, you know, even if you drove down the conversion rate to 20%, because they're, but like overall the volume increased, you have a lot of distance between point three and 26% right. to, well, and that, to really have a lot of, of opportunity there.
1: And the last point, I mean, you're totally right. And the the other point to that is that, you know, by doing that switch, we did see a decrease in leads. And like, that's a common yeah. side effect of removing some of the budget away from lead gen, especially because, you know, in lead gen world, everything's pretty much perfectly attributable. You know, as soon as you start yeah. allowing people to go to the website, explore, educate themselves, you run into all sorts of attribution problems, even with an outside attribution tool, your CRM. So the point is, is that, you know, that's which led to a decrease in leads, but the conversion rate after lead to op made it worth it for them to say, okay, this makes sense. And we need to keep doing more of this. So, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Common sense prevails. <laughs>
1: Indeed. I know we need more uh, of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: Cool. Um, and then I think we've talked about this a decent amount. Um, and so, you know, this could be for your company or for clients. Uh, you know, what role does content play in the overall strategy?
1: Uh, well, I guess I'll do it for for ours. I guess because that's easy. Because I think there's a lot of different nuances to the different things that each company does. But uh, you know, for us, you know, content has started out pretty simply, where we initially started out posting just organically on LinkedIn through predominantly my profile, and now uh, you know Jason has kind of joined in. Who's the co-founder of OmniLab, and so we do it together. Uh, so since then, you know, we've built up a little bit of a following and. You know, it started to drive a lot of people inbound and, you know, just create brand awareness and for some, maybe just add some value. And my goal with it from the beginning, honestly, was just, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if, I get, if someone gets a little bit of value added or thinks a little bit differently, then cool. Like I accomplished it, I accomplished the goal for the day. And so didn't really think about us getting to the point we're at today from doing that. And then that's kind of expanded into, all right, well, we need to be on other channels too. And so we launched a newsletter uh, some months back, and I think now we've got almost over a thousand subscribers to it, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so that the goal of that really is to say, hey, you know, not everyone's on LinkedIn every day, and some people miss my posts because of algorithm problems or whatever. So for folks that just want to, you know, get something on a weekly basis that's still the same type of format, boom. Now you've got content in your box, and we will commonly take our podcast episodes and put those in the, uh, the newsletter itself. And, you know, really it's still kind of a, it's like a longer version of LinkedIn posts is really how we've done it versus like just Mm -hmm. stuffing blog posts and other stuff like that. And it just like saying, here are the links. All right, see you later. So it's still a piece of content you can consume. And then on top of that, as I mentioned, the podcast is another thing we do, which is, uh, for us right now, we'll probably change it at some point, but the goal has been to really say, Hey, you know, who's in our ICP. That's a good fit for OmniLab. And let's reach out with them. Let's interview them and uh, let's have a conversation. Occasionally we'll bring some people that are not really quote unquote in ICP. We've had investors, we've had you on, we've had some investors yeah, yeah. on and yeah. other people that are outside that we're close with that have a good following and we just want to build a better relationship with. So so that's been a cool thing to do. We'll then repurpose some of those clips on our company page and probably should even repurpose it more honestly on personal uh, pages. That's a, a, a timing flaw and uh, just getting more mm-hmm. organized. But but yeah, that's kind of some of the ways that we're thinking about it, and that's just us scratching the surface. I mean, again, I think this is a good, such a good lesson because we're a small team, right? You know, ten or yeah. so people. We'd love to do a whole bunch of stuff, but we just can't do it all. So we've got to stay focused. So those are some things that uh, we're up to at least right now, and plan some new stuff in the future here. So
0: yeah, I think that fits well with a lot of what we talked about. You know, there's, you know, do as much as you can, do well, and yeah, um, you know, understanding, you know, what you what your ICP wants, you know, all that stuff, I think, uh, fits well with that. So exactly. that's great. Um, number three, yeah, how does your company s- define success for you and your team? So it you know, may be a bit different than you know, have certain folks who are like a CMO or something like that. And I think that's maybe a, a much more of a, uh, rigor there because obviously you're a co-founder, so you just sort of establish this for yourself, but I think still interesting to, th- to hear just kind of, how do you think about and, and measure success?
1: Yeah. I'll answer in two ways, like for us and then how I think B2B SaaS companies should also be measuring success because I think the, sure. for any people on the SaaS side too. But yeah, for us, it's pretty easy. I mean, the, there's really two metrics We're uh, looking at retention. And so, you know, how long people stay with us is a good sign that we're doing a good job. They're getting value from our efforts and what we're doing. So that's really, really important. Um, and then the next is really looking at pipeline growth and revenue and the kind of typical metrics. But those are the two things we look at all day long. And clearly, you know, with any of this, you know, too, there's clearly leading indicators to that as well, like engagement from posts we'll look at. So, you know, we yep. use an analytics platform to pull in data from all our LinkedIn posts. And we look at that on a regular basis just to kind of understand, hey, what content's engaging more than the other, et cetera? What should we do more or less of? And occasionally we'll test something out. Or I'll write something a little bit different. Maybe it falls flat and everyone's like, I don't care about this, right? And so fine, you know, that's a lesson learned. And so I think that um, those are a handful of things, I guess, that are immediately top of mind in terms of like what we do on a regular basis to kind of just measure measure success. And then on the SaaS side, you know, I think the big thing, and I, you know, this has really changed. I think, you know, last year it was a huge, a lot of noise and a lot of conversation around not measuring success against MQLs. I talked to so many VPs of marketing and maybe I'm just talking to the right ones, but that's not a measure of success anymore at all for them. I mean, almost all of them are on some type of pipeline or revenue number and their teams accountable for that. And so I think that's changed a lot for many VPs of marketing where that's not uh, a measure of success anymore. But I think it's really important because I was on a call literally yesterday talking about this, where this was one example where they were not uh, aligned with trying to drive more pipeline of revenue, they all they cared about is just, they've got a lead number, they want to get as many leads as possible to hit that number at the lowest cost per lead possible. And so as soon as like that conversation plays out, it this, changes the tactics and things you do in the channel. And so without getting into a long winded thing, the point is, is if you really have to optimize for the lowest cost per lead, and you need attribution from the channel, a lot of times restricts you to running Legion gen in the channel. And trying to figure out tactics that are kind of clickbaity to get people to just fill out the form really quick, versus actually educating them over the long run, talking more about what you do, how you do it, things of that nature, and building up credibility and trust, versus just trying to get the form fill and then move on. And yeah. so, so I think those are things that are really important. But, but at any rate, wanted to share that. That uh, you know, certainly most of the companies we work with and. I think the industry as a whole has moved that direction, uh, especially now because profitability is king right now. Capital is expensive. Interest rates are high. So there's just no excuses to, um, you know, hide behind leads. So,
0: yep. Totally agree. Yep. All right. And then uh, last one, uh, what's your least favorite marketing conversation that's happening on social channels right now and why?
1: Yeah, I alluded to it uh, earlier. There's, there's some more that came to mind, but I'll stick with what I was uh, thinking about before, which is, uh, uh, just lead gen versus demand gen, and uh, is a big one. I mean, it's it's got to the point where it's it's really it's kind of semantics, it at, at some level to me. And you know, it's not a versus this or that. You know, both are equally important. I mean, mm-hmm. doing high intent, uh, you know, bidding on high intent searches on Google Ads or Bing or whatever channel is a is a form of legion and literally everyone on the planet does it unless you don't have existing demand for your category so legion's not going away it's not versus it's something that's still very relevant it's just the focus is the focus of the conversation has been don't just capture demand that's already out there looking for what you do but also try to find people that haven't heard of you before that don't know what you do or, you know, who you are or anything like that, and make sure that we've got some level of marketing programs focused on those versus just trying to capture emails right away. And so so to me, that, that's the biggest one. I think, uh, I don't know, I think the conversation's kind of burned and <laughs> dead. It still will come up and there's still a hundred, hundred one articles on it uh, that people want to understand. But uh, anyway, so yeah, it's something that drives me up the wall.
0: Yeah. I I can see why. <laughs> yeah. So um awesome. Well, uh before we um wrap up, I uh, would love for anyone who wants to check out OmniLab or um find you on social, where should they look?
1: Yeah, just uh Jonathan Bland again is my name. OmniLab. You can find uh, me on LinkedIn and reach out over DM or omnilabconsulting.com is the best place to find us in terms of our website, but uh yeah, either way, happy to chat marketing or anything related to paid.
0: Awesome, and for anyone still listening, uh, thanks for uh, you know joining and, and sticking through uh, to the end with us. Uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, feel free to visit tenspeed.io/podcast for any past episodes you'd like to find, uh, and please subscribe and follow on any of the uh, platforms of your choosing. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thanks so much, Jonathan, for joining us.
1: Awesome, man. Thanks for having me.